Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cod Cabin Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything political and everything Massachusetts. I'm Jack Leary, and I'm joined by Logan, Jesse Hahn, and Adam Bass. Today, we're going to be focused on the hotly contested primary for Massachusetts's 4th Congressional District, a deep blue seat recently vacated by Joe Kennedy. A whopping 11 candidates made it onto the ballot, largely due to the requirements being lowered due to coronavirus. I'm going to list the candidates, which might take a while, and then we can get into the analysis. On the ballot, in alphabetical order, are Newton City Councilor Jake Auchincloss, Obama campaign alum Dave Cavell, Newton City Councilor Becky Grossman, City Year co-founder and former Senate candidate Alan Casey, Federal Reserve Special Examiner Isan Lecky, Executive Director of Harvard Center for Health and Human Rights Natalia Linos, Teacher Nick Matthew, former President of the Alliance for Business Leadership and Brookline Select Woman Jesse Mermel, Engineer Herb Robinson, former DCCC Deputy Finance Director and President of the New England Hispanic National Bar Association Ben Siegel, and tech startup founder Chris Xanatos. Bit of a mouthful there. You did, things, you did perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I tried my best. To start things off, uh, why don't we just start with who do we think is going to end up on top? Uh, Adam, why don't you go first? Well, it's good you mentioned that, Jack. Um, for those who also are in the know, I'm also interviewing a lot of these candidates. I recently just finished one with Jesse Mermel, before that, uh, Ben Siegel. And this week on WCCS, which is where Cod Cabin is having a very nice home. I'll be interviewing Alan Casey, Dave Cavell, and Nick Matthew. As for who I think will be on top, I can't say who's number one, but I do have two quote-unquote frontrunners. The first being Alan Casey due to his name recognition and endorsements, and the second being Jake Auchincloss due to his fundraising ability and his sway in Newton. I think those two are the big quote-unquote stars right now. In terms of campaigning, I think Casey right now is running a bit of a stronger campaign. He is very energetic about it. But Auchincloss is certainly no, no non-threat in, in my regard. Yeah, I, I think it's between those two. Though, I will say before turning it over to one of you guys, um, Jesse Mermel, don't count her out just yet. I agree. I think Casey and Auchincloss are definitely the two favorites. Um, Auchincloss has also gotten some good endorsements. I think he got endorsed by... Uh, vote vets yeah. and uh, yeah, some other Newton officials. And being from Newton, I can I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Auchincloss and Becky Grossman, who are the two uh, Newton City Councilors. And in 2019, which was the last time Newton had a town election, Grossman ran unopposed, and Auchincloss ran uh, against three other uh, candidates, and it's. It's in a system where each ward elects two city councilors and each voter gets two votes. So Auchincloss ended up getting about 60% of the ballots that had votes for this ele- election uh, had Auchincloss picked um, as at least one of the votes. So he did rather well. And I think that might have actually played a little bit into his, his favor. Um, I. Um, I'm not even in his ward. The entire city votes for um, most of the city councilors, but I got three different uh, mailers from him, and that might have helped, at least in Newton, with his name recognition. Um, Becky Grossman, obviously running unopposed. I have not. I did not get anything from her, <laughs> and I think that is going to help Auchincloss a little bit. But I'm going to be interested to see how the campaign develops and how all these candidates will be spreading their name recognition throughout the district. Yeah, I think an an un- underrated part of this 
race is that Auchincloss and Grossman sh- largely share their vote base. So um, a lot of they're going to have to turn out Newton, and one of them's going to come out on top. And I'm uh, looking at small donor, small dollar donors, donors under two hundred dollars. You know, it's pretty shocking, but Jesse Murmel is on top by a pretty good margin ahead of these big name candidates like Auchincloss and Casey. Auchincloss is actually sixth, and Casey's actually fourth. You're going to say something? Um, oh no, no, I was going to agree with you. Yeah, Murmel has this amazing ability to campaign online. I think of the um, of the bunch, she's the, per- the most active on Twitter. With the only one I think beating her would be Siegel and Matthew. But yeah, she has this ability to raise uh, small, do- small dollar uh, donations really well. And I think that also has to do with the kind of voters she attracts. But I'm gonna let you finish, Jesse, um, in regards to that. Yeah, just jumping off of what you said, I think uh, Morel attracts a lot of young activists based on who I follow in Massachusetts politics. I see a lot of uh, young people in young Dems, uh, high school Dems who follow her. And she has, I think, a lot more followers than her competitors. And then, uh, but I think uh, another part of that is that if if the coronavirus effectively uh, stops canvas, um, keeps a hold on canvassing, that could be a huge damper on her campaign because I could see um, that she would probably have a lot more volunteers than these other campaigns who would probably have to buy ads, probably have to um, buy pamphlets um, instead of going door to door or making phone calls. Yeah, I would definitely put Jesse Mermel in my in my top three, along with Casey and Auchincloss. And I, I think Auchincloss would be in a lot better of a position, Jesse, like you said, if Grossman wasn't in the race. But speaking of, you know, where the candidates are from, I'm pretty sure that all 11 candidates are from the northern part of the district, you know, Newton, Brookline, and Wellesley. And this is this is a pretty big district, you know, it stretches all the way from Brookline down to Fall River. And a lot of those votes are down there in, in places like Fall River and, um, and, and Taunton, all down there. And that's also the southern part of the district is, you know, generally speaking, a poorer part of the district than the Boston suburbs that are included in the fourth. So I think that's going to be more than Newton, the place to watch, you know, because none of these candidates have an inherent advantage down there. So I was just wondering how we think that those places are going to end up voting in the primary because I I think they'll be the deciding factor more than places like Brookline or Newton will be. I mean, uh, to to go off Jack, um, I think the areas of Attleboro, Fall River, uh, New Bedford, those areas are going to be the working class voters, as you said. And right now, the only candidate I think that really has a hold on that is Auchincloss. He recently got a couple union endorsements and unions are super important in that area, especially the IBE, the IBEW 103, which we mentioned in our first uh, Kai Cabin episode, where Kennedy has a big uh, hold on the endorsement. And to me, Auchincloss and maybe a couple of others, I think, show the working class part of Massachusetts 4. Because in reality, Massachusetts 4 is a very suburban district. It's a very white collar, almost uh, preppy sort of district. It covers most of Norfolk and Middlesex compared to Bristol County. And I'm not sure if the other candidates like Ben, like Ben Siegel or Asani Leckie can really reach out to those working class voters. 
because especially those two, because they focus more on social issues, where the working class would focus more on the economics. I haven't really seen much of it. Honestly, I haven't, like, as just a voter, not going out of my way to research things online, I haven't really seen that much about this race. Um, I mean, this is, it's more due to the lockdown, but really in my uh, life personally. But I think Auchincloss's will is going to help, help him down in Bristol County is uh, the veteran populations in Attleboro, Taunton, Fall River are much higher than they are in the northern parts of the district. And that's definitely going to help him with the vote vets endorsement. I think it's interesting that you mentioned um, social issues, you know, being the focus of a lot of candidates. And I, I think that's generally becoming true in a lot of primary elections like this. But I think one candidate who's focused a lot on economic policy, or at least not explicitly on social policy, is Alan Casey. You know, his whole, a large plank of his platform is his national service program and, you know, how he helped found AmeriCorps. And I, I think, you know, his promise of, of jobs for everyone, investment in our communities is going gonna, is gonna to carry, carry very far in those working class communities that may have been hit harder by recession and may not have received as much investment in recent years as the suburbs have. And I'm sure as well with the, the veteran as well, population there as well, they, they'll be happy with the whole national service message. Um, I think in addition, one more candidate I want to talk about was the same lucky who really is kind of like, I, I imagine her as like the kind of AOC of the district, but she just really hasn't gotten the traction online that, uh, these progressive Bernie crack candidates have gotten. No, I think you're right. I think, unfortunately, I think she was overshadowed by Mermel. I think lucky would do well in the Suffolk County, honestly, she would blossom there. But the problem is that she is very, very, very hinging on social issues. And I was actually reading an article about the uh, a debate at Boston College from their uh, liberal newspaper, The Gavel. Um, and one of the things that made Lucky stand out was that she criticized uh, Joe Kennedy for running, while the other candidates were very they didn't really care. She was the only one vocal about it. But the thing was that I think people in Massachusetts Fourth do like Kennedy uh, and they want to focus on the big race. They don't want to focus on a small race and trying to combine the two gets in a messy. Yeah, I think the interesting part about Lucky is that she was in the race when um, Kennedy was still in it. So everyone thought, a lot of people thought he would go to the Senate um, race, but you know, there was a chance he would have stayed. And I think um, Lucky's goal was to just pull off enough of those progressive voters in the district to show Joe Kennedy that you know there's some dissenting voice in this district. I don't think um, I don't think any uh, any normal individual would think they would be able to beat Joe Kennedy in that district. And I think since Joe Kennedy has left, I think she's had to retool her campaign um, to a broader audience. And as Adam said. Um, these new candidates jumped in, and Jesse Mermel, um, Alan Casey, Jake Auchincloss um, took a little bit of that fire, and she's sort of burned out there at the end. Yeah, and, and Jack, I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, a candidate who has a really, really, well, actually, let's go back to Alan Casey for a minute, because I'm, I'm jumping around here. Um, I think one of the things that to be noted about Casey that is that he has probably the most energy of, of the of the eleven, Mermel comes in a very close second, followed by Siegel. But 
Casey really, really likes to promote local businesses. He recently on his Twitter just did a top 10 uh, food area, uh, areas to get food in the Taunton area of Massachusetts. He, he seems just really eager to participate in anything that Massachusetts before has, no matter how big or small it could be. In some sense, uh, Siegel and, and Mermel do it really well too, but on an online forum. Yeah, I think that just, you know, the difference between the very, the more online Siegel and Rommel and Casey being more on the ground is a difference, you know, an, an old and a new generation of campaign styles. And I, I think that comes from Casey being, I think, you know, one of the only candidates here to have run for federal office before. In 2010, you know, he placed third in the Senate primary behind. Yeah, he Martin didn't do bad. And uh, Capuano, I think he pulled in like somewhere around 20% of the vote, which, you know, for someone going up against well-known names like Capuano and, and um, Martha Coakley, that's, that's pretty good. And he also ran in 2012, but I think he withdrew before the voting began. In terms of that on-the-ground enthusiasm, I think that's, you know, in a literal sense, because he has old volunteers from his past statewide campaigns, while, you know, these other candidates, you know, if they do hold elected office, it's restricted to one city or one town, so their volunteer base isn't as big as Casey's. Yeah, and I think... Um... With those campaigns comes a lot of um, experience and relationships. I think he knows how to build those underground relationships, especially as Adam said, um, giving these restaurants exposures in a time where they really need it. So I think a lot of owners might recognize that dedication to the community. And, you know, he got the Boston Globe's endorsement in the 2010 um, senatorial primary. So um, maybe in in August, um, you'll see that come back. If he gets that endorsement again, that could be uh, the difference maker in such a tight election. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Casey is definitely in a, in a good position uh, for this election. I heard something similar about what uh, Jesse Murma was doing with uh, local businesses. I, I might have the wrong candidate, but I think she was kind of advertising like the Asian like grocery stores that have been victims of the kind of anti-Asian discrimination where they're not being able to sell anything because I think you're right when everyone thinks about coronavirus and I actually was just uh, scrolling through her Twitter and she has uh, two endorsements from Fall River school committee members and I wouldn't have that judge the whole city but if she's able to get endorsements from down there uh, that could be that could be uh, good fortune for her performance in that part of the district. Yeah, I was really surprised about that. I saw Ted Nisi uh, from ABC6 Rhode Island report on that. And honestly, I thought the teachers would go to, would go to Matthew, uh, considering his uh, background as a teacher, who we'll get on later. Um, but I am shocked that Mermel, someone so entrenched with uh, liberal policy, supports Medicare for All, uh, not the biggest fan of Nancy Pelosi, was okay, was able to pull those people in. Um, but to go off of that, and Jack, you mentioned this, I guess you could say the betrayal of Ben Siegel um, from, Rask, from Congressman Raskin. Jack, you want to go into a little more on that? Yeah, I, I just noticed when I, was, when I was pulling some facts together for today's episode, the fact that Ben Siegel actually worked in Jamie Raskin's office as a research assistant um, you know, Jamie Raskin being a congressman from Maryland. And Jamie Raskin actually endorsed Alan Casey. And, um, you know, I think it was Logan who said that Raskin and Casey were buddies from Harvard. 
But I think it also speaks to the fact that Casey really seems to be one of the more national candidates in this district. And when I say that, I mean, you know, he's pulling a lot of national endorsements that don't have a ton to do with this race. What comes to mind right now is Susan Rice and Mitch Landrieu, you know, an Obama official and the former mayor of New Orleans. And I, I haven't really seen, correct me if I'm wrong here, any other candidates make that same push for national figures like Alan Casey has been doing. And once again, I, I think that's a result of him having experience, you know, in the federal government with AmeriCorps and also of him having run prior statewide campaigns. But, you know, I, I just not to sound like we're all hopping on the Casey train right we're now. Not all ca- we're not all crazy for Casey. <laughs> exactly. one, um, one factor, you know, where Casey's been behind recently is in fundraising, where he's been a second behind Auchincloss, which I think is actually a little damning for him, given the fact that he has those national connections. Yeah, I'm surprised about that because you you would think that Casey would have this big pulling for money, but no, Auchincloss has been managing to get every single uh, support in the in the Brookline area, in the in the Newton area, and I think also it has to do with, and and this is something I learned about Auchincloss, uh, his history as as the head of transportation in the city council. And Logan, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but Massachusetts Fourth really relies on on transportation. It's one of our biggest uh, factors in the area. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, a lot of people trying to commute to Boston, and uh, pub- public transportation is it's a big issue across Massachusetts, but especially in suburban Boston, like this district, um, it's it's definitely a big issue. Um, with the fundraising, I uh, Auchincloss has about a 20,000 advantage in the race, but has an even bigger advantage in cash on hand, which is almost 200,000. He's got a ton. Yeah, and that's gonna be an even bigger issue. Like when we uh, reopen and people start canvassing and uh, spending more money, it's gonna be a big advantage to have more cash on hand. I was actually really impressed looking at the April, or the March and April fundraising numbers. You know, even during a quarantine, even during a time where unemployment's really high, these candidates are pulling in tons of money. I'm pretty sure Casey, Auchincloss, Grossman, Mermel, and Xanatos have all raised over $200,000, you know, in the month of March. And I'm sure in April, they, they were able to keep that steady. So this is obviously proving to be a really expensive primary election. So I, I think Massachusetts is having a real problem with spending a whole lot more money in the primaries, you know, in the fourth district and in the Senate primary than they're going to spend in the general, you know, taking money away from a lot of races across the country. Yeah, I no, Logan, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to mention that, I mean, just to, just to add that, the, I think it's the third district, the one up with like Lowell and, and that kind of area with the competitive primary in 2018 is another example of that with just lots of Senate, uh, lots of primary uh, competition, but not a lot of general election competition. Yeah. I completely agree. And Jesse, I want to bring you in on one of these questions. Um, one candidate I'm surprised, he has the right structure, but really isn't catching fire. And maybe, and maybe we'll see him, see him catch fire on one of our shows, is Dave Cavell. Um, you know, he, he has an amazing setup uh, and probably does a very good job of campaigning from home. He does this thing called uh, Dinner Time with Cavells, where he invites everyone to the table. Um, and yet, Despite being this pragmatic progressive, he hasn't really caught fire yet in in the race. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I, I think 
Um, Cavell, uh, former, I think, Obama administration alumni. I think I, I see a lot of um, parallels between him and uh, one of the other candidates in one of the candidates in the third district election in 2018, um, Rufus Gifford, who is a former ambassador. Um, I, I think he'll get some good attention from the Obama folks. They'll send him a good amount of money. And as you said, um, he's got an interesting campaign strategy, bringing people uh, metaphorically, uh, virtually to the table. But yeah, I think that's just a byproduct of having so many people. I think people just uh, can't keep so many people um, in their attention. Yeah. And unfortunately, Dave Cavell seems to have fallen out at the- And so where to? He worked for Maura Healy, who is like the number one rising star in Massachusetts politics. Everyone's gonna think she's gonna challenge Baker. How, I'm surprised, I'm just shocked. Yeah, I think, um, I, I don't think uh, Healy's gonna jump in here. I think that's gonna hurt him a lot. She's oh, probably no. gonna stay no, up no, no, to no. state goodwill with whoever ends up winning, but you know, you were gonna say? No, 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 I was agreeing with you. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's smart for Healy to stay out of this race, given, you know, the, the field is so fluid and it would be a little awkward for her to endorse a loser and then have to look to the winner a couple of years later if she does run for governor. Um, and I, I think that we're seeing a lot, a surprising number of elected officials, you know, in the state legislature and even in, in the cities and towns in the district staying out of this race so far. It's early, of course, but I'm pretty sure a, a decent majority of state senators and state representatives have declined to endorse a candidate so far. Right. Um, I know my state rep, Ruth Balzer, endorsed Becky Grossman. Uh, but yeah, most, most of the state legislature, the legislators have not endorsed anyone. And I agree, it's just such a divided field that there's, other than the obvious endorsements like vote vets for Jake Auchincloss, there's not really going to be it. It's going to be more harm than good to endorse for a lot of politicians. Absolutely. No, Jesse, you were going to say something. Yeah, I think, um, thank you. I think an endorsement that has uh, kind of um, been lost in all the coronavirus is that uh, Ayanna Presley endorsed Jesse Murnell. They're, they're uh, old friends. I think um, she was one of the bridesmaids at um, Presley's wedding. And I think at the end, um, in, in August, if they're able to campaign, I think uh, maybe Presley can save her uh, up in the northern area of the district a little bit. Your thoughts on this, guys? Well, the problem, I think, is that, uh, again, the people of Massachusetts are very cautious right now. Um, I don't think people want to be outside. I think people are still have, are very mixed on Baker's reopening plan. Some people agree with it, some people don't. But I think for the most part, people are very cautious to campaign right now. Um, honestly, I'm not sure if Presley's gonna really throw her hat in the ring on this one too. Um, mainly because she, I'm not sure, honestly. Yeah, I remember reading an article the other day that mentioned that endorsement, and I, I was surprised because I had it, it completely evaded me. And I, I think Presley has been really quiet since the endorsement, which makes me think that it was more of a, a courtesy endorsement from Presley. 
but um, most of the Massachusetts delegation has remained pretty quiet in this in this race so far. And you know, once again, I think that's just a product of the divided field. Yeah, I agree. I I, I don't think Ayanna Presley really has taken that. I mean, in the presidential race, for example, I know she endorsed Warren, but I don't think she was out there campaigning for Warren too much. Um, but I also a couple rallies in Iowa. Yeah, I I guess so. But I think. Um, I'll be interested to see if some of these federal politicians who have uh, endorsed in this race, mainly, mainly endorsing Casey, will come to this district to campaign like AOC did in last year's Brookline elections. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it could happen. Um, and a cool thing that we're actually going to do, because we only have three minutes left, but um, – Quick little announcement for you guys. Uh, we're going to have Alan Casey on the Cobb Cabin. Uh, Jack, do you want to go into details on that? Sure, yeah. Uh, so our, our next episode, we're going to be hosting Alan Casey. So um, I hope you'll be able to join us. And hopefully in the future, we'll be having several more candidates as well. Uh, so make sure you tune in next week for Alan Casey. I think that's all the time we have today. So we'll wrap it up right now. Uh, so until then, stay tuned, everyone.